You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. What up, what up, y'all? This is uh, Jermon Bulls. Welcome to a very, very special episode of the How About Guys. This is episode 10. Bang, bang. A big episode for us. <laughs> a big episode for us. Um, as you know, you got, your, you got me, Jermon Bulls. You have... I surveyed the scholar, uh, the plant guy, all that good stuff. And then you have a kid. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. That's, that's all the plant guy, bro. You, you are lazy. <laughs> lazy, bro. All right. Go, go ahead and uh, go ahead and get it. Pop it off. The, the proton, the proton <laughs> prince. Huh? <laughs> What? The electron, electric? I don't know. I don't know, bro. I'm not good with that part. You're supposed to be good with that part. And then the I just part. come in. I, I was in the episode. You come in and you give the rest of his title that you want, you want to make up as well. Three yeah, quarters. I'm going to have to write them out next time. I'm going to write them out. I'm going to write yeah, them out. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. And then you have um, the gray hair to kill talent. Yeah. And you know how, like, this like gray hair represents wisdom? Not <laughs> it's like the opposite. Hey, y'all, so I got to be honest, man. I am extremely excited to introduce our special guest for the day. Um, I am jealous of his hair. I am, <laughs> I am not jealous of his height. Uh, this is my brother for a long time. And I'm going to tell a quick story. This is, a, this, is a, this is how I think about Antonio. Um, me and Antonio were at um, Barack Obama's inauguration in Washington D.C. Yeah, I put him on my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> it literally happened. I put him on my shoulders <laughs> above the crowd. But <laughs> that's love. That's my brother. Yeah, that's, that's love, brother. man. Yeah, I respect and love this man. It's an understatement to be real, man. He is one of the most. Proactive, grassroots, family oriented, <laughs> Detroit representing, women loving, uh, community oriented. I can't say enough good things about him, though, because he is what a lot of people try to be all his life. He's genuine, he's down to earth. Um, he's always showed love to everybody around. Um, this is my guy, Antonio Raphael, Southwest Detroit on Instagram, known as Southwest Jesus in the building with the high vibe guys today, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Welcome. Peace. How are y'all doing? All is well. What's up, bro? Not too much. I slept in today. Like, it was really nice. <laughs> you got eight hours? Yeah, I think I did. I did. Excellent. You look charged up. Look like you're shining over there. <laughs> yeah, got the got the light game going over here. <laughs> Real quick. Uh, our female audience just jumped by like <laughs> five thousand percent with this dude ass on here. Y'all make me sick, bro. Want <laughs> to start wearing a wig on this podcast, bro? That's <laughs> right. Of when I had hair, even when you had hair, wasn't that nice, bro? It, it wasn't. <laughs> huh? It, it looked like this. Look at these two guys here, man. This is filthy. Uh, you know, like, we're shooting, like, shooting for, like, advertisements. So now, like, Valdell Sassoon, like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> for real, bro. 
Anybody out there who wants to like do some type of hair advertising, don't look at Mila Kill though to be those representatives. Uh, <laughs> um, so Big Antonio, we start off each show by talking about something that's going on inside the news, man. That's kind of like you know just a, a intro, and then we we gotta go from there. You are big on politics. You're big on everything: the environment, politics, community, um, maple syrup. Check my Wi-Fi. <laughs> Chickens. Uh, Antonio at one point had a bee farm in his house, but uh, you're big on everything. <laughs> why don't you uh, why don't you give us uh, your view or your take on Bernie Sanders dropping out of the race, and what does that mean for the Democratic Party as far as our options and what what else? Ugh, ugh. <laughs> that's the, that's I mean, I guess I, I personally, I would like to see Bernie run third party and like whoop Trump and uh, Biden because Trump and Biden, there's a definite difference between the two of them. Like Biden is not going to give you a terrible person for the Supreme Court. That's like the number one argument that like liberals have for supporting Biden. Um, so like there's there's a point there. And Biden, but Biden, Biden is a piece of shit, dog. Like, so he's from uh, Connecticut, right? Connecticut, I want to say. I want to double check. Let me fact check that real quick. You know where Biden's from? Did you say a kill? No, I said Dave. Dave knows. I was about to say, yeah. You started fearing my eyes, like, oh no, bro, don't call on me. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, are you pooping? Man? We need you. Dave is our random fact checker, man. He knows everything. Okay, so he's Dave. born in Pennsylvania. Let's see. Dave making a drink, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's so he's, he's got elected in Delaware. Anyways, wherever he was elected from, that's basically where all the credit card companies are. So, like in the 90s and 80s when they were doing like all sorts of like reform to protect consumers sorry i was uh i I was i'm still working on this stupid facebook issue uh yes he is holed up in connecticut that is his home state yeah so like he represents like so where he comes from the credit card companies are super powerful and super strong he he basically worked for them for you know how his son biden got in trouble because he was working for an oil company while biden was helping overthrow uh the ukrainian government like his son was working for the credit card companies the same time Biden was passing legislation to fuck up consumers and to support the credit credit card companies. So like Biden is just like, he's a historic perpetual perennial piece of shit. Um, He like during the big on tough on crime era, when the Democrats had this quote unquote Southern strategy that pro that saw Bill Clinton beating up uh, Jesse Jackson that saw like uh, Biden was a part of that era too. He helped write a lot of this like tough on crime legislation. He helped pass like welfare reform. He helped write legislation that like ensured that students would have their debt forever. That students couldn't like declare bankruptcy and drop their debt. Um, let's see what else Biden did. He he beat up Anita Hill. She's the original Me Too black woman. She uh intern for Clarence Thomas, the first black Supreme Court justice. And he was a sexual harasser, piece of shit. Like, 
uh, Biden beat up on her verbally. Um, I mean, like, you can't take one issue and find out, like, where Biden hasn't had, like, a terrible-ass record on that issue. What's crazy to me is, like, literally Trump is going to be taking the, the, the he's going to be fighting Democrats with a more Democratic message on trade and a more Democratic message on criminal justice reform in this election. Trump is going to be hitting us from the left on these issues because Biden is such a piece of shit. I hope is that like Democrats replace Biden at the convention because Biden can't talk for more than two minutes without like getting all geriatric and like dement. Like he's got dementia. He's got dementia. Like there's no doubt about it. I mean, you watch this dude on TV, like it's bad. It's really bad, and that's why they've been hiding his ass. And like the and like the media has been trying to uplift Newsom, and they've been trying to uplift Cuomo because they're looking for a neoliberal alternative for Biden. Because Biden is not mentally competent enough. We're talking about like Ronald Reagan in his second term, sort of demented. You know what I'm saying? Like just not there mentally. You think that's why? That's uh, that's at the best hope. Our best chances are the Democrats replacing Biden by themselves. But if we're counting on the Democrats to do the right thing, it's not like a good look either. And I've been like a lifelong. I only say that from a <laughs> like my, my my I come from a union family. My dad was heavily involved in union stuff. I vote that most of my life, but I, I also recognize that the Democrats have been stomping out progressives my entire life as well, so it's like, um, yeah, I'm I'm really upset. I'm really not confident in Biden. I'm convinced that the Democrats want to lose to Trump. If you want to lose to Trump, Biden is a candidate you put up because he has zero, like his chances of defeating Trump are so minuscule compared to Bernie Sanders. And finally, Anybody who will try and tell you that the Democrats are that um, it was a Democratic election and the people chose Bernie. Fuck no, the people didn't choose Bernie. The Democrats chose Bernie. The people who are registered Democrats in some of the primary elections, they were open and anybody could vote. But in most of the primary elections, it was only Democrats doing the voting. Um, and that's different than what's going to happen in the general election. In the general election, uh, yeah, it's a different story. Sorry, I'm messing with my light. But yeah, those are some initial thoughts. I definitely am open to not doing a monologue. <laughs> well, you already did. <laughs> Too late, brother. Uh, <laughs> do you feel as if that's why Biden is uh, bringing up the conversation about uh, possibly uh, moving out of having a Democratic uh, convention this year? Maybe. I mean, I think like, I definitely think they, they intentionally went for Wisconsin because they know Bernie has a conscience and Bernie feels terrible for them having to do a primary if they have to vote during the pandemic. You know, that's crazy. That's the main reason Bernie tapped out because he's like, man, I can't, I can't be part of forcing this conversation forward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of the convention, I don't know. Like I, I haven't studied that. I looked into like democratic machinations. I imagine, um, Canceling convention would probably help him, but I, I really hope the Democratic Party wakes up and realizes that they're running a shitty candidate. I gotta be honest, bro. Like, I love you. I love the people who, who wanted anybody but Biden to to win. I love you know, like I support everybody who really wants um, to change the how the Democratic Party works. But I told people a hundred times over that Biden was going to get fucking eye. Right? Yeah, like, he has fucking he has the fucking Obama effect for him. You know what I mean? Yep. 
went down south, I knew the shit was gonna pop off. Like it, it's hard to like people aren't really into the politics of politics. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> so, so so it's like we, we still like Trump wouldn't be in the office if that was the case. I right, so what you putting up? But Trump wouldn't be in the office. Oil of oregano. Oil of oregano. Yeah, I need something. I'm extra snotty over here right now. Um, spicy. Yeah. <laughs> so outside of that, Biden. Of course, we got the big topic. I want to know what your thoughts are as far as this virus goes, man. How it's impacting your community? I know that you're yeah. Um, I saw you out um, doing diapers yesterday or uh, distributing diapers to different households yesterday, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Um, you have your thoughts on what's going on and, and how it's impacting Detroit. Me and you had a, a little back and forth yesterday about um, the impacts as far as implementing green light to, to oversee the community. And for those of you who aren't familiar, green light, I'm actually pretty familiar with it because at one point in time, we were going to implement it at our store. So a green light is a program where basically you get a green light in front of your building that's on your, in Detroit for your business, right? And you basically sign up with Comcast. Comcast puts in these cameras. And if you go to liquor stores, you go to my neighborhood, Antonio's neighborhood, um, you'll see green lights in front of the building, which means that they partake in a program where the police have direct access to the cameras. So let's say that something takes place at your business, the police can literally tap into your cameras and respond immediately if you put it in the wrong part. And uh, me and Antonio have a group back yesterday about it because they're talking about um, using Project Greenlight to monitor different areas where people are uh, uh, coming together and grouping together. Antonio felt a certain type of way about it. I feel another type of way about it at the moment. I think that it's actually not the worst idea. I do get being monitored by the police or by our government. Um, it's a scary idea. But I also was riding down <coughs> Jefferson yesterday and saw 35 bikers at 7-Eleven um, blaring music and having a get-together. Um, so what are some of your thoughts on what's going on as far as this virus and how it's impacting the city, brother? Yeah, I, I would urge everybody who listens to this podcast to follow uh, Green Light Black Futures. It's the page on Instagram. It's run by a lot of people who are kind of part of BYP 100 and some people who left BYP 100. Um, it's a really awesome community organization, uh, black youth led, um, super dope. Uh, but um, let's, before we talk about Corona, let's just talk about um, Project Greenlight since you brought it up. Yes, sir. So, so essentially it's like mass surveillance being put into your community. It's like, all right. And one thing that we have to recognize about uh, Detroit is Detroit is the blackest major city in the entire country. It is, uh, at the, at, according to the 2010 census, uh, 700,000 uh, black people, uh, mostly black people, 80% black. Like I said, black major, there's, a lot, there's some cities, uh, not cities, there's some towns that are actually blacker than Detroit, but it's the blackest major city. Um, the average income of the entire city of Detroit is $26,000 a year. The average income of Oakland County, just to the north of Detroit, is $70,000 a year. How much? You, you cut out. Seventy dollars to $80,000 a year. Wow. It's, true. it's three times the average income of the city of Detroit. There are communities in Oakland County, such as the southern part of Bloomfield Hills, where the average income is $386,000 a year. Okay? Yep. 
So you have to understand like Detroit in the context of a geography that is extremely racially and class segregated to the point that they've concentrated poverty into the Detroit areas and particularly into the communities um, where there are less service, more liquor stores, more bullshit. Um, so like I'll also very briefly add on to uh, this broader context of where Detroit is at. Uh, it's 2020. We are 12 years after the 2008 financial crisis in which uh, in that time since 2010 or so in the last 10 years, around 180 to 200,000 Detroiters have lost their homes because of tax foreclosures and um, uh, repossessions of homes. On top of that, you add the fact that about 120,000 people have had their water shut off in the last uh, three to five years. On top of that, we had a Detroit public school system that had around 200,000 students. Today, it has 40,000 students. They passed legislation so that every kid is worth $7,000. So the suburbs have opened up, and now they're accepting our students and our tax dollars. So the, the, These suburbs are predators. They're parasites. They live off of Detroit. Um, so additional context, Detroit is has been led by a black mayor, black leadership for a long time. That's also part of why they have not worked with Detroit governments to deal with the structural nature of Detroit's debt and going all the way around to get the project green light. All that is to say No, he, no he not. Shut up, Booth. All that is to say is like since the two <laughs> crisis, the suburbs injected their candidate, Mayor White Duggan, and he became the mayor of Detroit, and he's been working for the companies that Detroit... So, like, Dan Gilbert, who is, like, the biggest, richest capitalist, he's, like, our Mr. George Burns from Simpsons. He owns, like, all of downtown, runs Detroit, runs the, the sports teams. Basically, Duggan works for the suburbs and works for the rich people who own most of the city. Um, and it's his administration that, that like, helped choose the emergency manager. Literally 50% of Michigan's population lost democracy after the 2008 financial crisis because of these same structural segregation issues all around the state in which the state government and the local capitalists are stealing resources from the people. So given the context of Detroit being occupied by the white suburbs and taken over. Uh, I see where you're going. I see where you're going now. Project Greenlight is representation of this. Okay, on top of that, I have a pamphlet for this shit somewhere, but there's a program called Detroit One. Detroit One is a combination of the federal government, uh, ATF, DEA, FBI, um, state police, county police, local sheriffs, and all of their prosecutors fast-forwarding warrants. It's called a, it's called a violent crime initiative is what they call it. But they're basically sweeping out Detroit of anybody who's got a warrant. In Detroit, a very impoverished city, as we discussed, the average income is $26,000 a year. For me, my car insurance is $3,400 a year. Like 30% of Detroiters have warrants right now. 20% of Detroiters have warrants. 
for petty for petty ass little ass crimes right yeah. for like not showing up to court for not paying tickets for driving through the suburbs we have like four ferguson like type white suburban communities who prey on black people driving through to pay for their police departments these motherfuckers are structurally broke right now because they're too scared to come talk to us at their windows right now. Mm-hmm. I'm loving this, like, nah, no cops having the nuts to harass anybody moment right now because I haven't been put over in a couple of weeks. It's been nice. I feel safe driving to the forest around Detroit. But all that to say is Detroit's being occupied and, and then to bring in a mega security surveillance apparatus and I'll add one more fact on top of this. On top of the Detroit one, which is fast-forwarding warrants and putting black and brown people in jail. I'll put two more. Michigan's entire economy has been propped up on marijuana since 2012 when we made weed legal. Huge, 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 huge. Everybody's dope boys. Everybody's selling weed. Everybody's growing weed. And Detroit just did a huge sweep and, and, and raided 150 pot, pot growers and pot shops throughout the city. So they're cracking down on black entrepreneurship. They're cracking down on black homeownership. They're cracking down on black public schools. They're cracking down on all of the things that make Detroit the majority black powerful city that it is. And one more policy that I also said is, um, uh, so there's the, the Detroit, not the, so basically, okay, the, the, the surveillance. So basically like these Detroit one cameras and the many thought, thousands of other cameras, most many of which were put up by Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert was straight up putting cameras wherever he wanted downtown on buildings he didn't even own. And Dan Gilbert set up uh, a security infrastructure so that all of the camera feeds come to one center that Dan Gilbert runs. I mean, Dan Gilbert is like, uh, I'm working on a comic book. I'm going to let the sound. I shouldn't talk about I'm working on a comic book where Dan Gilbert is Batman. <laughs> as like the white savior of Detroit. And cause like Batman's evil. Batman is truly evil. If you watch all the comic books and the cartoons, Batman owned the electrical infrastructure. He owned the sewer system. He owned the trains. I mean, what the fuck kind of shit is that? Like pre- preparing you for monopoly ownership by one person is crazy. Batman, I'm going to jump in and say, I want to give the uh, alternative perspective because go ahead. With Project Greenlight, man, the, the small business owner has to choose to, to have that. Right. So it's not like they have to pay. They have to pay. You have to pay for it. And you also have to choose to be a part of the program. Right. Um, And I would say the majority. So I live over here, but living north of Seven Mile, known as the Fashion Avenue, um, home at one point in time of the largest black owned businesses inside the city. Right. And I would say 90 percent of the businesses over here have green lights in front of them. And um, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but. The, the system doesn't work unless the small businesses decide to, uh, to to become a part of it. And that has nothing to do with all those other elements that you're kind of speaking to right now, right? So that's my personal, like, if we're choosing to have it, then it's a reason. And I get it. It's a lot of things that have happened inside the city over the past 50 years that have put the, the, the citizens in a position to feel like... But who, who, who's choosing to have it, booze? Who, who's choosing to have it? Who owns the liquor stores? It's not just liquor stores, man. That's... that's, that's it's definitely like Arabs. you're right, Middle East, Middle Easterners. And but it's just it's not just liquor stores. I would say that 75% of the businesses in this area have have green lights in front of them. 
Unless yeah. it's like a fucking riot or some shit like that. Like, where they already have police or something like that in front of the so, so there's been hella examples already. There's newspaper articles about this, but like Project Greenlight is not going to save any of you business people. It's not coming to save you. But what it is going to do is get whoever was fucking around in front of your place in trouble later. That's what it's going to do. Mm, I think sometimes, man, business... Project, there's nobody uh, sitting there... So there's thousands of cameras all over the city. You think Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of people monitoring them, and anytime like somebody gets stuck up, they're going to show up in 10 seconds because they magically are saved by Project Greenlight? Fuck out of here. Not a chance. The the way it works is is when you call the police, they have automatic... They have a way to automatically tap into your camera so they can start using that as surveillance in that moment. No, they're all tapped in. They're all tapped in and they will jump into your camera and look after you, but it's not going to protect anybody. It's not going to save anybody. What it's going to do is get people in trouble afterwards for the crimes they commit. It's going to hold people accountable. It's going to push people into the mass incarceration system. In a city that, again, has the average income of $26,000, motherfuckers be robbing people sometimes. I'm not... I don't defend that. I don't think that's good. I've... Shit, like I've almost been robbed before. Like, it's it's really about how you carry yourself. Like, I feel safe anywhere in Detroit. I could walk around anywhere in Detroit. I'm not gonna dress to my to my nines, walk around some neighborhoods, but I feel safe in Detroit. Yeah, I mean, but who doesn't feel safe in Detroit? All the new white people moving in. Where are all these cameras being located? Mostly around some of these white gentrifying areas. This like make white people feel safe and secure in new Detroit under a takeover Duggan administration in its total bullshit. This is, this is, this is, this is an opinion. I feel like you see more green lights in communities outside of Midtown and downtown than you see downtown and Midtown. Because downtown and Midtown got all the Dan Gilbert cameras protecting their asses. I know. So there's like a thousand cops and there's Wayne state cops downtown too. But you see the green lights in the communities where the people are. Yeah. People have been fooled into thinking that green light is going to save them. It's not. They think it's going to save them, but I, I do think if you've been robbed or if you had issues with crime, that you want to have additional layers of protection. You know what I mean? What, was, yeah. what makes me feel safe, to be honest, everybody listening, uh, don't judge me, is my fucking gun. You know what I mean? Like, I feel protected at home because I know that I'm safe and I know that I can protect And I agree with you, like you said before. For the most part, Detroit, I've lived here 10 years plus now. I've lived in Michigan 20 years. I feel safe in Detroit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't walk out of my house or go anywhere and feel like, oh, you know what? I need to. Uh, I need to be armed right now because it's it's not like that. If you know how to carry yourself and you know where you're going and you know and you're, where you're supposed to be, for the most part, you don't have any issues inside the city. Actually, to be honest, I've never had any issues inside the city my, my entire time here. Yeah, you just can't walk like a victim. That's the number one thing in Detroit. You can't look and walk like a victim. White people be walking around like. Um, like, just like pleasantly walking, like, oh, safe, it's fine. If you have like a, a, an attitude of somebody who's easily victimizable, you might get robbed. Yeah, at, at Eastern, at Eastern Booze, we was, uh, there was a boy at Eastern, this is a white boy. Uh, I think he was like homeschooled or something like that. This fool got robbed like three times in Ypsilanti. <laughs> he looked like a victim. He, he just looked like his, he had a sign on his back that said, rob me. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna do shit. I, I, I like booze. I, I, I like empathize with store owners and people who like, you know, are, are out here like in dangerous economic times with like massive inequality. Like the, the bigger picture is structural poverty. You know, that's really what like all of this amounts to is like we talk about how to deal with poverty. And right now, 
how we're dealing with poverty is evicting people, closing down public resources, taking away things that help poor people and pushing them out of the city, pushing them out of the areas that they can't afford, raising rents in the gentrifying neighborhoods, the only sustainable, viable neighborhoods, quote unquote, and then pushing them into, in, into, into precarious communities and situations and stories. So we need a whole system workaround. You can't, you're not going to like, I can't expect Dougie or anybody who's running this project green light to like have a functional way to deal with mass incarceration. Now, and I, I would agree with you and say that Project Greenlight is dealing with the symptoms of uh, a structure that's been broken. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely not... Um, In a punitive way that pushes for surveillance and mass incarceration. You got to add that on there. And I would also I would also say, too, that I feel like a lot of the, the people who are adding the Greenlight to the business don't have the best interest of the community at all anyway. Now, that's the, now that would be the, the real fuck shit. We had a whole episode when I talked about liquor stores and corner stories, too. You know I hate the motherfuckers, so... Yeah. How they... How they you know, I went to a, I went to Switzerland. I went to Switzerland for uh, some, like some real white shit to say. I went to Switzerland one time and uh, no, it, it, I, I did some graffiti. I, it got really kind of popular. The graffiti I did, I was invited to speak at this uh, artist gallery there. Um, and like they had vending machines all over the city that like essentially replace like liquor stores. Like, they sell like a beer, they sell like condoms, they sell like shaving. It's just like, it's crazy. Every like, their society's better structured. Like we don't need like a thousand candy varieties, like too much, all this sugar bullshit. Like that, our shit's ass backwards with the way the government funds, supports sugar, supports big corporations, supports the like 10 major fucking food companies that supply all the processed bullshit that's in our stores. Oh yeah, that's on purpose. It's a hot mess. Yeah, that's on purpose. Hey, Booge, uh, you just look like a black ass blob on your uh, like you can't see no facial features. Yeah, he got the light like behind him. <laughs> hey man, it's on purpose. I want to look like a fucking uh, like a fucking villain or some shit. That's <laughs> <laughs> you look crazy as hell, bro. We need like that uh quote from Josie Wales. It's good to have the sun at your back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, green light. Something to talk on. Uh, talk about. As far, and we brought up Greenlight because they're talking about using Project Greenlight to monitor different situations at different, um, you know, um, liquor stores and things of that nature as far as crowding goes. Um, Basically, like they're using Greenlight to monitor where black people are c- accumulating so they can bust them up and not allow people to, like, hang out in public, which to me is some Orwellian. Would you, would you disagree that, that people need to stop hanging out for this a little bit? Yo, d- Definitely. At, at the moment, right now, given what we know, yes. Given what we're aware of and given, like, the science of things, yes. I don't, we need to research more and figure this shit out more. But Detroit, really the problem in Detroit is, again, like, it's a much bigger issue than, like, like not congregating is taking care of shit. On the because Detroit has what you call a lot of comorbidities. Comorbidities are other things that kill you. So, like, we got a lot of asthma. We got a lot of diabetes. We got a lot of hypertension. We got a lot of um, all like medical issues that are gonna like push you into dying quicker. So like that's that's the, the reason the disease is running rampant throughout Detroit is the poverty, the working class nature of our community. We will have to work to pay bills, whereas like people who don't who work for nonprofits or work for whatever they can work from home. Yeah. 
we, we're stuck going out into the world working. And also we got all these like health issues, many of which are related to the liquor stores, many of which are related to the poverty, many of which are related to the pollution that's here. Um, so we got all these comorbidities that are causing us to uh, die and suffer from Corona at a high, 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 high rates. So what are you, uh, so what, uh, I saw you out yesterday, uh, um, giving out diapers. Where, where were you at? And, uh, what, what service was that? Yeah. So if people, if, if, if I, who I really feel for in the crisis is like parents, dog, like that's the one thing It's like, I feel privileged, lucky, amazed not to have any fucking kids, yo. Like having to deal with a bunch of bored ass kids in a house locked up for like weeks on end not in school, trying to find babysitters, trying to work your damn self. Like parents are the motherfucking superheroes through all this shit, like doing it up. So if parents in Detroit or in the Metro Detroit area, but mostly Detroit, you can check out DetroitDiaperBank.com. DetroitDiaperBank.com. So check that out. And like, basically the diaper bank is uh, donations from Huggies and a bunch of diaper places and they're distributing diapers to various locations throughout the city where you can schedule it and pick it up, but you got to go to that website. But yeah, we was just basically helping. They, 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 they got a ton of donations. So they called for people to come support them. Uh, my boy, Donovan McKinney, who's a, a really awesome black organizer with SEIU. Uh, he hit me up because we've been distributing water and other mutual aid stuff. So he hit me up and a bunch of us up and he's like, yo, I need some volunteers out here for distributing diapers. I came today. I continued to volunteer with them the following two days. And uh, yeah, I'm driving around delivering diapers yesterday. That was in a, in a, a U-Haul truck. So you're, you're not working right now. What do you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do normally as far as your nine to five, man, because um I think we'll probably be big on this and probably kill too. Cause I know you work to develop brain spaces with the youth right now. Um, yeah. I would like to hear about that too. Um, basically. Uh, so the last four years before I got this last job, I was like independent. I was doing lectures. So my background in economics, that's why like I got all the stats and numbers because um, economic analysis is a big part of like who I am, what I do. Um, I studied economics and political science in college when I met Booz. Um, a big focus of mine was international stuff. Uh, the history of the United States and Latin America, um, was a big part of my education and focus. Um, and like, I, I, I was getting, I was doing a lot of lectures around Detroit's uh, bankruptcy process, the water shutoffs, uh, art and community organizing and resistance. Um, for the past four or five years, while I've been independent hustling lectures and shit like that. I've been doing a lot of like little contracting jobs and a lot of volunteering. Um, I graduated from Eastern Michigan in 2012, just as Detroit was going into bankruptcy. I immediately started throwing down with Detroiters Resisting Emergency Management, which was a coalition organization of, we had the police, we had the firemen, we had uh, pensioners, we had uh, all these, uh, all these community organizations at the table to fight against emergency management. We were shutting down streets, doing being in front of city council, just really turning the fuck up against emergency management. And for those who don't know, emergency management is basically like um, financial dictatorship over the city. Like uh, take a structural uh, 
economic issues and make people individually responsible for them. Uh, basically steal uh, people's pensions. So I, I got involved in that fight. That bankruptcy process took two years. It was very fast. The, 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 the work shifted over to water protection and stopping water shutoffs because, um, I mean, it's a lot complicated. I don't want to bore you with the details, but uh, the water system in Detroit is the biggest in the country. It serves 6 million people in the entire metropolitan area, plus Flint. Um, and essentially, like, the governor uh, and his emergency financial manager was trying to privatize the system in order to make it look good. They wanted to see that revenues were coming in, so they started cutting off poor people's water. Um, so I was straight up turning people's water on. We were just straight up, like, taking a tool and, sh- and turning people's shit on. But we were also advocating uh, to stop those water shutoffs and make water affordable. If you make $6,000 a year and you got a $2,000 water bill, that's damn near 10% of your income. That's crazy. That's like unaffordable. That's unreasonable. There's no way water should pay to be that. Expensive. Um, I want to say too, uh, real quick, Antonio, Antonio, as you said earlier, he's a graffiti artist and um, he had uh, two big pieces that I believe probably like globally at this point. One would be the Black Power Fish, which was on the water tower that was the one that was as you drove into detroit right yeah another piece called uh they said decolonize which was rigged on it was on dozens of buildings and water towers 2012 to 2014 15 yeah when it was real prominent as you drove into downtown detroit i can't remember where it was though it was on the cpa building at uh in that between southwest detroit and corktown yeah, my man has pieces throughout the city. He has a Malcolm X. He does native pieces. He has pieces throughout the city that really speaks to uh, the community and the cultural, um, the culture of the people inside the city itself. And I, I wanted to say too, man, like you are a man of many damn hats, brother. Like I know. <laughs> some of that shit down, but I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with how you were able to juggle. 15 different careers all in the past fucking 10 years, man, because you've been doing it real big. And you kind of just speak to what, you, what you're going to now as far as the green spaces and how, the evolution of how that kind of came to be. So let me let you go back to that, bro. Yeah, so yeah, so um, I got arrested in 2015 for painting Free the Water on a water tower. If you just a hashtag Free the Water, uh, you'll see it. It was, a da- it, was a, it was a water tower at Davison in 75, big white one. Um, and then it, all that is part of like a broader context of like uh, White Duggan kind of writing in and, and taking out graffiti. He started this graffiti task force. Um, fucked up story. I'm trying to do a little storytelling on that issue, but uh, graffiti task force is definitely some like broken windows policing sort of stuff, which is like a philosophy that came out of New York. If you fix the broken windows, you fix the underlying policies. So Doug, so there were so few police allocated throughout the city that in Detroit, by 2008, 10, 11, Detroit was a graffiti mecca, dog. Like it was covered in graffiti. It was crazy, super right. crazy, and and not a good way either. Like it was too much. Was, people were reckless painting businesses and shit like that. I was an ethical graffiti artist, and my most of my graffiti was um, social justice stuff. You know what I'm saying? So like, um, I don't. I mean, I, I barely qualify as a graffiti artist. I'm more of a street artist, probably. Like a lot of graph heads would probably not say I'm a real graph artist. I wasn't like painting my name everywhere. I was painting messages uh, against various issues. But I was pa- arrested in 2015 for painting free the water tower. They was threatening us with a $70,000 fine, two years in jail. Um, a whole bunch of people organized to help us out. We beat our case. Um, 
So that was tough. Um, but like, I really like between 2012 and 2015, I got really tired of social justice shit, activism shit, um, risk, risking my fucking life uh, and my freedom for um and at the same time there was a couple like really shitty social justice organizers who were like um you know telling people i work for the fbi just like on some real dumb shit like the identity politics was super out of control like i was just like i was done with organizing in 2015 so in 2016 i moved over to uh organic agriculture I I'd studied uh, at the student organic farm training program up at MSU. Really cool program. Shout shout them out. Um, student organic farm training program. Um, and I did that for a year. I worked on a farm for a year up there. Um, and I came back to Detroit. I helped start a community garden called Southwest Groves. That's it's kind of basically my house and my neighborhood. I live right next door to where I grew up in Southwest Detroit. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I garden and and, and keep bees and do outdoor shit in this area. Uh, in 2017 or 18, uh, a bunch of us got together and, and co-founded this organization called Black to the Land. Um, and it's kind of like a coalition of groups who were interested in doing outdoor shit. It's honestly, it's a lot of single mamas uh, and some, and some babas who are like, you know, really about it. And uh, we basically organized camping trips and outdoor experiences uh, for families uh, we all support each other with the food and the organizing and the resources and shit like that. Um, so Black to the Land, I helped co-found for show. Uh, I, off the strength of that work, uh, I got a job with the National Wildlife Federation, which is a conservation organization. They're a big national organization. They started a program called the Detroit Leadership and Environmental Education Program. And it's basically an after-school program where I take kids outdoors and introduce them to nature, seasonal harvesting, foraging, agriculture, um, and then uh, environmental uh, issues. So I, on the backside of everything, this entire time, I've been engaged in environmental issues because in Southwest Detroit, we're dealing with a lot of pollution. So I've always been engaged in environmental issues. So I'm going to ask everybody, uh, why do you feel like our community, why is Detroit is so connected from the environment? You know what I mean? Like, um, Michigan has to me one, one, some of the sun. If you go up to the UP, one of the most beautiful areas you can go to in the world. Why was it um, our natural habitat? Um, what's your relationship to nature? Um, I would say just being able to connect outdoors. Um, like I give you an example. Um, I used to love walking on, on the grass with my bare feet, you know what I mean, when I was young, you know what I mean? I used to love to fucking dig holes um, outside. I had like a, I had a relationship with outside where it was like equally as much as I enjoy to be indoors, I enjoy being outdoors, but just not like outdoors as far as like on the street, but actually in the fucking, what, what was the natural surrounding of my of my house at that point in time. And was I was you like, a country boy from Arkansas, put it out here, boy. Right? And um, it's something about like, you know, when you put your bare feet on the grass, it's a feeling that you get that's different than, than like, you know, your bare feet on your wooden floor inside your house. You know what I mean? And I would say yeah. like, I felt like that relationship over time changed as I got older to where like it just didn't seem necessary. And um, I'm just curious as to why we feel, do you guys feel similar maybe? Or do you, do you, um, 
or do you think that people still have relationships with nature? When I would, I would honestly say that fuck no, not in Detroit, not at all. You know what I mean? Like it's a concrete jungle for real. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I I think personally, the way that we are nowadays, where kids sit inside more often, that was intended. This was all by intent. Like they know the power of people being outside, being more in touch with nature, walking barefoot. You know what I'm saying? Being in the sun, especially for melanated people, they they understand the power in that. So that, I mean, this is all intent. Like the advent of the internet or video games becoming so big, being indoors for a kid, like they, they have their own fantasy world, bro. Like you ain't got to leave your room. <clears throat> you ain't got to leave your room to be a superhero. Whereas when we was kids, like, especially, like, as y'all like to point out, I'm the oldest of the, the, the group. We we sat outside, like, we wanted to go outside. The only thing that kept us indoors was Saturday morning cartoons. But as soon as that shit was over, we was outside, bro. And your mama had to find you. You only came home for food and water. Like, your, my parents had to find us, bro. We was gone. We, we got raised by the hood. The whole hood raised. Yeah. I won't come home from water because I'm drinking water out the hose, baby. What's up? Uh all right, so real quick, yeah, I know. one, what are your thoughts on this before you get out of here? Um, I agree with you. I feel like back in the day, you know, we were way more plugged in, but nowadays we totally disconnected. The average person that is. I know a lot of people um personally who may, you know, go put their feet in the soil, spend a lot of time outside still to this day, but the average person, I'm in the grand switch you hundred percent. We got work to do. And I also got to dip out in a second here, guys. Um, but um, I just want to get a, have him get a few words in. And um, I brought that up, and I just asked that because what uh, what you're doing right now is basically plugging in kids with uh, nature to some extent. You know what I mean? I, and you actively take kids out into the woods to to have them do different um, things. What's your thought? Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would like to hear real quick from Austin and Akil, like. What uh, relationship did y'all have to the forests, to like state parks and parks around Detroit? Did y'all go camping and shit like that? Like, I mean, there's a there's a lot of nature in Detroit still. Like, even no matter what, I would like to hear what y'all's relationship was with that because I think that's that's a good touch point. Oh yeah, when I was growing up, we had the mulberry bushes in the backyard. We had some fruit growing off the trees. You know, we went to the parks, all of that. Yeah, I, I miss it actually. I need to um, integrate that back into my lifestyle. I just be so, you know, busy, you know, with work or whatever. I need to get back to it. Thank you for those reminders. Nah, that oh, was yeah. that was a that was a normal part of my childhood, bro. We had a pear tree in our backyard. So Oof. like we we got pears all all uh summer, fall, spring. Uh my parents, especially my mom, we was heavy into going to the parks, all the different parks, metro parks. So as a kid, bro, being in the water, being out during the summertime, uh, biking, like, I I had one of the moms, like, she wanted you out the house. So soon as 9, 10 in the morning, bro, we outside on Saturday mornings. And we didn't come back in the house until 8, 9 o'clock. And that was about Which four. was your favorite parks? Favorite parks. Um, Man. Nah, I ain't been to a park in Rouge Park. Time. Rouge, yeah. Rouge Park was straight. 
Yeah, I, I stayed close to uh, Rosedale Park had like a little mini playground community area thing in there. Still, at a, at a still do. Time. They had some parks over by Brightmore. Yeah, Bell um, Isle for me. Bell Isle. In the yeah. city. Bell Isle, between Bell Isle and Rouge, in terms of like where the concentration of nature is, Bell Isle and Rouge are the biggest, biggest ones, like biggest for it. I mean, I remember feeding the deer on Belle Isle growing up, that big ass oh, slide. Yeah. Yeah. They, I remember when the zoo was, when I was really little. For sure, for sure. Yeah. You can actually, this. you can like actually get into the zoo. There's a, there's a, there's a trail that yeah. I found when I was hiking with booze, walking our dogs. And you could break into the zoo. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, like abandoned now, but it's like crazy. Yeah, people being there yeah. all the time now. I watched Antonio military crawl through like a hole inside of a gate to get, to get inside the zoo. And I, <laughs> I had his dog for like 25, 30 minutes. As I could not find his cat for the longest. But um, uh, it is, Bell Island is a beautiful place, man. And I, like over the past two to three years, I've really come to appreciate it. And this is a, just a quick, funny story, kind of in connection to this. Um, this past summer, I took a friend's boys fishing. Two boys, right? These boys are in high school and they graduate this year. And there's two major facts that blew my mind, right? So we're in Michigan, the, the state of lakes, right? Great Lakes. One of the boys had never been to a lake, right? In high school, had never been to a lake. Two, they couldn't remember the last time they left Detroit, right? And like these are intelligent boys. They're, 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 they're funny as hell, they're wise. And it was just crazy to me that these two boys, and I get like the fishing piece, like I didn't get to go fishing. Um, I had actually been fishing with my stepfather's grandmother when I was a kid. Um, the fishing piece I understood, but the fact they had never made it to a lake before was like fucking beyond me though. You know what I mean? And it's peace, peace, brother. Peace, sir. Nice to meet you, Asa. Peace, nice to see you again, bro. Peace. But uh, just to say that I, I only brought it up just to speak to why I think it's so important that you do what you do as far as helping create green spaces and, and introduce those kids to um, different different activities outdoors and not just outdoors, but in the forest. And um, I I see you've been boiling down maple syrup for the past two months now, a month or so. And I see you got yeah. kids also uh, uh, involved in that as well. Kind of how did that all come about? Yeah. Um, so I, I've been also like simultaneously building a lot of relationships with native peoples throughout the Great Lakes areas. And that's where I learned how to uh, tap maple trees from uh, a couple years back. I've been following it, checking it out. Um, I've also been into other types of foraging, like mushroom foraging and um, herb foraging, some flowers and shit like that. So like it's, it's an extension out of that sort of like work is this idea that like we should be eating seasonally. We should be like, engaged in physical natural activities throughout the year um and if you like look at like the way the anishinaabe folks lived um so anishinaabe people are the indigenous people of the great lakes um they're the potawatomi the odawa and the ojibwe and uh they lived where in the summer they'd be up north uh farming catching fish uh doing their thing and they go to they'd separate and they go into like uh hunting lodges where they like hunt for meat all winter and then in the spring they'd go into these camps that were sugar bush camps 
where like the entire community would come together and like tap into maple trees, sugar maple trees, collect the sap, boil it down to sugar. They make maple sugar, not syrup. Um, so for me, like my whole attitude this winter has been like winter sports are not just for white people. Like I, I want the exercise. I want to be outside. I want to see the beauty of Michigan in winter. Up north in, in, in northern Michigan, they have these ice caves, super gorgeous and beautiful. You go cross-country skiing. You go uh, shoe, snowshoeing. Uh, if you, I mean, and there are places the DNR actually lends out these stuff or rents them very cheaply. Um, but, like, yeah, man, like, that, they actually, uh, in Rouge Park, they actually groom cross-country skiing trails. This is the first year I think they started doing that. So like I started doing all that shit this year. I went snowboarding for the first time and all this shit had me feeling so good this winter dog. Like winter is a, a tough time in Detroit because you shut in the house yeah. almost like Corona. Like it's like you are just locked up in the crib. It's salty, wet, nasty. Um, and like getting into nature in wintertime is powerful and beautiful. It, it gave me like the physicality coming into spring that I needed to focus on the sugar bush. And that shit is exhausting. Like, Basically, like you, you, we set up for the first three days. We had an uh, Ojibwe brother come out and like help us start it up. But like, you wait for the season to go to where it's freezing uh, at nighttime and above freezing in the day, so above thirty-two degrees. And then you uh, drill holes in the maple trees, use yeah. metal spiles to tap in. Yeah. That tap had a rubber uh, hose that went down into a bucket. And, and then as, when the weather was nice, those trees was running and they were putting out like half a gallon a day, a gallon, or not more than half a gallon a day, like a half, they'd, they'd fill up a half gallon of a five gallon bucket in a couple of days. What are, uh, so when you take the kids out there, what are they saying about that type of experience? Man? Like for them, like what's the, what's the, what are they, ta- what's the takeaway? Yeah. I mean, like, so we work with Detroit public school students and we're, we're also with one charter school and they're just like, Happy to chop wood because you got to chop wood to feed the fire to boil it down. Yeah, yeah. And they're, I mean, they're happy to be connected with the seasons. Um, and most of them didn't know how to identify trees. So we walk around identifying which are the sugar maples. And that's also a really powerful experience. Um, being able to name. So that's a real powerful experience. And then a bunch of them got to connect with my boy, Jerry, who came down as an Anishinaabe dude too, um, which I think is also really cool. Because I think, a lot of people think native people are like gone or dead or some shit like that. So um, they really enjoyed that too. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're just, they're just happy, thankful to be part, happy to be outside. Um, yeah, it's powerful. I mean, a lot of things about healing, you know, like it's hard growing up in the city and getting an opportunity to get out in nature, like and, and connect and put your feet in the soil and smell the earth and, it's definitely like healing work and it's reconnecting work because that's who we are for millions of years that we come from indigenous peoples in Africa and all over the world. And we were connected with the seasons, connected with nature. Um, but it's, it's this time under Christianity and colonialism that we've been, you know, having our seasons disconnected. I mean, Christianity very much so like takes seasonal shit. Like the winter solstice is Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, Easter is like the equinox, you know what I'm saying? Like all these holidays that are absorbed in Christianity, they basically had all these quote unquote pagan holidays, which were basically people who ritualized the connection with nature. 
and they took that and, and made it into Christianity to, to absorb it and like to take, you know, indigenous pagan people and put them under Christianity. So the, the council in control of Latin ass Rome. I'm listening. To, uh, so we got to get, they just gave us to wrap it up, Q. But uh, real quick, just in correlation to that, I'm, I'm listening to a book called The Cooking Gene by Michael Twitty, right? Uh, excellent, excellent fucking book where he basically uh, reconnects his cultural uh, ancestry to, to cooking, you know what I mean? So he goes back to Ghana, he goes back to all these different places. And um, a large part of what he speaks to inside of that book is just like learning the or- like the actual origin of where the food is and what the food comes from um, and the, the, the different terminology. And it reconnects him to his, his heritage by learning and by reconnecting to, uh, to his ancestry, but the food itself and the, the actual plants themselves. And um, it's kind of re-inspiring me to, to look at how I cook and, and my connection to my food and the land that I live on, which is something that I think you speak on a lot. Um, so as Dave gives us the wrap it up cue, man, I wanted to thank you first and foremost for I knew this was going to be like very informative. Um, talking a lot of different shit. And, you know, you don't know this, Antonio, but episode 10 for us was a really big deal. Just because most episodes, most podcasts don't make it to 10 episodes, right? So very true. Forward to this particular day because if we did, we knew it would be over a big hurdle. We're hoping to have many more episodes in the future. Possibly with you on, you talk a lot though. You're gonna have to you gonna have to have you top half as much next time. And we're gonna have to have a structured show. But you get a wrap it up button. <laughs> every you get the wrap it up button and everything, but everything you spoke to, man, I think is just interesting topics, man. And it's good to get a foundation of just who you are because you are somebody who I feel is a leader inside the community, inside of Detroit, and um, somebody who we want on, on a team, period. Right? So, you know I love you. I've always loved you, man, since day one. Um, I love you too, man. Thanks for having you on. The kill, you got to appreciate you, my dog. No, man. No, bro. I, I appreciate I appreciate Antonio, bro. I appreciate you, bro. Hell yeah. For sure. For everything. Not for the podcast, bro. I follow you outside of the podcast. We need social activists like you that fight for us, bro. Like, Hell yeah. Yeah, so much love, much love, bro. Likewise. Appreciate y'all. Yes. Uh, much love to uh, the CMA, if anybody y'all listening to this, to the CMA crew back from Easton. Um, me and Antonio yeah. are real ones. <laughs> Stay but, uh, and thank you, Dave, for um, staying in the wings. I know you're back there hidden. I know you got somebody else you got to get ready for, bro. So we appreciate your time, as always. No, man. this is great, dude. I love these chats. Thank you. Thank you, man. Oh, yeah. And um, enjoy, enjoy that bar, bro. But we'll see you guys soon. <laughs> and thanks for tuning in to the Hot Bob Guys. Peace. All right. Peace. Joe. See you guys. Peace. Peace. Peace.